and there are probably people listening to us right now that are just in a and just an awful place. And um, oh gosh, what can what can we say about that? I, we we can say it is part of the invitation to become fully human. Mm. It is hard and holy work. You are not alone in it ever. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to jump on before you get into the podcast to let you know that um, when I was recording this with Carolyn, we had a glitch in the internet. And so toward the back of the podcast episode, you'll notice the sound changes quite significantly. Unfortunately, I edited as much as I could, but if you just hold on, your, your ears will normalize and you'll be able to enjoy the rest of the podcast. So I just wanted to say that up front. Sorry about that, but I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Follower Podcast. You have uh, jumped in on one of the first sessions in this new series we're doing called Into the Deep. And um, basically, this is me looking around and seeing some of the pain and some of the struggle that's really in our society at this time. And I just draw from the story where Jesus is calling his disciples, having having met them in the morning after they've spent a night fishing and their nets are empty. And then his invitation is to say, push out into the deep and let your net down. And then they get this catch that nearly sinks their boat, you know. And I think one of the beautiful things about story is that it speaks to us in so many ways. And um, the way that this story spoke to me specifically was really through uh, through these fishermen and just this idea that, you know, when we reach these moments of disappointment in our life or pain or difficulty, um, we can have one or two responses. We can stop believing that there's any fish in God's sea, or we can maybe see that we've been spending a lot of time in the shallows and that actually through our pain or disappointment or hurt or whatever that may look like for you in the season. And I don't think any of us have come out of this current season without some of that. Um, but that built into that is an invitation from the master that if we would follow him out into the deep, there's a, there's a catch that belongs for, to us there. And um, I'm just going to be bringing different people onto the show who have walked through some of this and people who I just respect and whose voices have been helpful to me. And uh, we're just going to have some conversations about what that looks like for them and what that might look like for you. And so on the show today, we have uh, Carolyn Arns. And uh, you may know Carolyn from a few different places. Uh, you may have read some of her books. You may have listened to some of her music. Or maybe in the last six years, you've um, connected with her through her work with the Renovare Institute. But however you know her. Uh, I've listened to a little bit of her stuff and was privileged to actually be at a day retreat that she ran um, in South Africa here. And she's a great gift to us. And so, Carolyn, just welcome to the follow-up podcast. It's good to have you with us. Oh, man, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn, I wanted uh, just to introduce a little bit, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself uh, growing up in Canada, your family, give us a, a sense of, uh, of your life. Well, uh, yes, I, I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. 
um, grew up in various parts of Canada, the, the oldest of three kids. I have two younger brothers. Grew up where faith was a, a live thing in the home um, and so said yes to Jesus quite early on. Um, kind of was in, incredibly shy, but found a voice through writing songs. And uh, I, I don't know how much detail to give you along the way. At, at this point, um, I live with my husband, Mark, and we have two young adult kids. Ben is 23, Beth is 20. And, uh, and you've already kind of outlined a little bit about um, uh, what I do vocationally. I have the great privilege of working with Renovari and then mm. uh, still kind of sling a guitar uh, for that work and, yeah. and also record some music and stuff on the side. Yeah. yeah. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. I'd love to point people to the Renovare work. Um, but um, you mentioned when you were explaining a little bit about your life that in your 20s, you had this kind of crisis of faith. Um, and then this did some work in expanding um, uh, and rewiring your sense of life in God. And I was just really interested in, in that. Yeah. So like I said, I, I said, I, I can actually remember saying yes to Jesus when I was about four and, um, you know, in, in the language that I had back at that time, I asked him into my heart and I can report that he, he came in and he has stayed in and <laughs> kind of all through my, all through my childhood and my, uh, young adulthood, I couldn't, I, it, it, when I would meet people who did not believe in, you know, at least something greater than themselves, it it would baffle me. I would, I would think like, how can you taste ice cream or, uh, you know, watch a baby get born or hear a Bach cantata or the Beatles and not believe in God. It just seems so natural and effortless to me. And then in my, in my mid twenties, my husband, Mark and I, we were, we didn't have kids yet. And we were on this trip to actually Nashville, Tennessee. And so it was kind of like my music career was just taking off. We were staying with friends in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just this little town outside of Nashville. Everything was going great. But I, I started to have this kind of growing sense of unease. And, you know, having some of those classic questions you start to have, if you have a childhood faith, like mine, you start to sort of grapple with, well, hold on a second here, you know, thing, prob the problem of pain in the world and inconsistencies and just, you know, some of those kind of classic questions, but it didn't seem like that big a deal. But inside I had this growing sense of unease. And then there was just this one particular night uh, where I couldn't, Mark and I were sleeping in this little guest room in this little house in Franklin, Tennessee. And in the middle of the night, I had this sudden, um, really kind of a sense of panic and lostness. And I realized for the first time in my life, I couldn't perceive the presence of God. Hmm. And um, I know for some people, you know, they feel like they've never perceived the presence of God. And so we're, we're all on our own kind of journey. But for me, this was just cataclysmic because it was hmm. something that I had always um always taken for granted. And I, and I felt, uh, you know, I sort of went underground with what I was experiencing. I had no frame of reference for it. And I had this kind of sense of betrayal, like God, where, where have you gone? But I also had had so many genuine experiences of encounter with a living God that I, I felt like more than being betrayed, I was the traitor, you know, how mm -hmm. could I, 
how could I possibly feel this way? So it ended up being very dark and kind of desperate summer on, on the surface, everything was going great. My music crew was moving forward. We were, you know, we were doing fun things, fruitful things, but underneath I had this uh, sense of the ground giving way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a long story of, of um, sort of coming back from that. There was kind of a pivotal, pivotal moment on the way home um, that, that started to move me in a new direction. But I, as I have sort of looked back on that time, um, one of the biggest things I've realized is that I, I was so unprepared uh, to experience doubt, to experience any turbulence in my life in Christ. And one, one of the things that would have helped a lot was to know that uh, a season of doubt, you know, whether you call it a, a dark night of the soul or however you understand it or frame it, is actually um, very normal <laughs> in, yeah, the, yeah, in the life yeah. of long-term God followers. And it has certain purposes and invitations, which we can maybe unpack together if you want to talk more about it. But um, I, at that time, had no frame of reference for it. I don't know actually how I had missed how often that's part of the experience of, of even the biblical heroes of the faith and right. then of, of the witness of, of the livers for 2,000 years. So I, I, I'm actually pretty passionate now about talking to Christians about the role of doubt in the life of faith. Yes. And how we can begin to see it as an invitation uh, rather than um, a threat. Uh, because I think, you know, it's always going to be painful to go through a season like that, but it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a devastating fire that burns down your faith. There's actually all kinds of redemptive invitations mm. in it. So maybe maybe we can talk about that. But I'm, I'm curious how you resonate with that story. Yeah, so, so much, actually. Uh, similarly, I, I don't know if I kind of grew up in as much as a, of a Christian home as you. But I, I always believed in God. I just, uh, it just, I think similarly to how you would say, it just made sense to me. I think one of my earliest memories is fishing with my dad uh, by a river. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Dad, how do you know that God exists? And he said, well, who put the sun in the sky? <laughs> and I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that kind of that makes sense to me. And that was like enough for my little brain. And I've always been a person of wonder and I've always been a person of, I, I would, I guess I would use the word spirituality. And I, I stri- I always, I, I get a sense that there's something underneath the thing, you know? Um, and that's just, that seems to be just kind of built into me. But um, mm. I, I, I do think there's a, almost like a necessary, even uh, not only common, but necessary, honest wrestling that, that we need to yeah. engage with. If, if our faith is going to be substantial, have substance. And I don't want to, I'm always cautious because I don't want to like um, assume the path of anybody else's journey, but I Mm -hmm. I just wonder sometimes um, how you can have this friendship with this invisible, but present God for a lifetime and never um, kind of wrestle with some of the complexities of that in a world that's a bit broken and in a self, mm-hmm. in a body that's a little bit uh, bent and, you know, these mm-hmm. kinds of things. It's just, I think if you're taking it seriously, surely, um, surely there must be seasons of doubt. And I don't think God's uh, surprised by that. 
I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. And the, and the one thing I would say is that that, that wrestling will, will look different for different people. Like for some of us, it will, it will definitely manifest as something we would call doubt. For other people, it might show up other ways. And, and one of the things, I it jumped out at me once. I think it's in Romans 12 where the Apostle Paul is listing, uh, you know, that different people receive different gifts f- for the benefit of the community. And in his list of gifts, um, you know, he's got like wisdom and healing and and uh, I don't have the text right in front of me, but he lists, mm-hmm. you know, all these different, you, you can have the, have the different gifts. He lifts the gift of faith. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that he might be getting at, you know, you meet the odd person who says, I, I honestly, I honestly don't doubt. I honestly have never, have never doubted um, the reality and existence and goodness uh, of God. Mm. And it's really tempting to look at that person and go, okay, well, you're just not very reflective or, you know, you're, sure, sure, you're not, yeah, um, yeah. but I actually think that there may be people who receive that gift of like, never doubt faith for mm. the benefit of the community. Mm. Um, and, the, and then there are people who don't, people who receive the gift of wisdom or, or some other gift and um, that it's really important in community that we understand that because otherwise those of us who do, you know, are more naturally doubters, it's easy for us to think, well, you're just not going very deep. And then for, 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 right. And then why are you so happy all the time? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, the, the people who maybe have been given that gift of, of never doubt faith, um, they need to understand that that's a particular gift that they've been given or else they're going to be tempted to think, well, you know, you're just clearly backsliding or you're, you know, you're not taking your life with God seriously. So, so I think it is important, like you were saying to not um, codify or make a template that Mm. this is what everyone's journey is going to go, go like, Mm. but I think whether you've received that gift of faith or, or God is in, in, you know, giving you different gifts and your journey looks different. Um, to know that when doubt shows up in the life of a believer, um, you know, I, I think, uh, and I, I think I told you about this a little bit in advance. I actually think that doubt is quite a neutral thing. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, and, and I would maybe call this um, honest doubt for, for lack of a better term. You know, there, there is the kind of doubt that, um, you know, may, maybe the call, the call to follow Jesus in a particular context in our lives just seems too hard. And so our, our subconscious are very powerful things. And so I do think there can be times when our subconscious is like, oh, I don't want to do this thing that... Right. I can tell the claims of Christ are going to ask in my life. So maybe I don't believe any of it. Right, I, w- right, I would right. call that maybe like, you know, kind of a dishonest doubt. But I think when we experience honest doubt, which is, Lord, I 100% want to be in relationship with you or to the best of my ability. I, we're always conflicted, but to the best of my ability, I want to be in relationship with you. But I am experiencing this dissonance. I'm experiencing mm-hmm. Um, these misgivings, these questions, I would call that honest doubt. And I think that that typically bubbles up in the space of a, of, of a couple of gaps. And the first gap is between 
what we were expecting out of life with God and what we're actually experiencing. Mm. You know, very often the script doesn't go the way that we were expecting. And so there's this, we experience this painful gap between our expectations and, and our reality, you know, either mm. in the circumstances of our lives or even just in the way we're experiencing God. And in that gap bubbles up this dissonance <clears throat> that I think many of us would call doubt. And the other gap is between everything there is to be understood about this immensely personal, but also immensely transcendent triune God and the universe that he's made. It's completely inexhaustible. You know, I will, we will spend all of eternity never getting to the bottom of all of its wonder and mystery right. and beauty. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's this, uh, vast, endless mystery to explore. <clears throat> and then we have this, you know, little three pounds of gray matter that we're trying to navigate it with. <laughs> and um, and we've been sort of taught we should be able to master things, right? So yes, yes. we start, start to encounter this gap between everything there is to understand and what we're actually capable of understanding. And in that gap, um, this dissonance bubbles up and we would call that that dissonance um, uh, doubt. Mm -hmm. And the, the doubt itself is kind of neutral. It's just sort of like a natural thing that would happen in each of those two gaps. But it's how we respond to that gap that determines whether it becomes a threat to our faith or a great invitation into the deep. I love, I love the name of your, of your uh, series. I mean, this is for many of us how God invites us deeper into the deep is to let us experience some of that, some mm. of that gap. You know, in, in the faith in which I grew up, what most, um, what most folks who were attempting to be faithful, you know, and then I grew up in sort of your your typical Western evangelical context. Um, what most folks did when they started to encounter those gaps was they was they shut it down. They mm, they yes. so they they either, they either made God smaller, yes, you know, didn't allow him to be all he was, all he is, and is inviting us to to begin to discover, to discover about him. So they made him God much more smaller or more manageable, where they made themselves bigger. They pretended that they had, wow. they understood more than they did, right? Mm. Or they just kind of like went on to autopilot, like, okay, I'm going to keep my faith like fire insurance, but I'm I'm just going to kind of go through the motions because right. any serious engagement um, is creating too much dissonance for me. Or they became incredibly insular and refused to engage culture in any way because it was too threatening, you know, so mm -hmm. no time for philosophy or arts or politics or public discourse um, or beauty. That's, that's where most of the people went when I was growing up. And what I think is happening now is a lot of people are just blowing up the whole thing. They're just saying like the dissonance is too great. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to give up right. on, the, right. on the project. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think, uh, carry on, carry on. What are you saying? No, no, you go. I want to hear what you think. Um, I, I think 
what's so interesting to me and why this is so important for me that we bring to anyone listening to this podcast is because I, I don't only think this is true in generalities, but I think this is specifically true in our cultural moment right now. Just because of what we've gone through as a planet, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. about COVID, I think about just the death toll alone is one issue. Like how many people have lost not one, but multiple family members or friends or people close to them. And then I think about the economic fallout of that. And then I think about mm -hmm. kind of the rising ideologies in response to that as we kind of scramble for some sort of security in some way. Um, and it does seem to be at the moment, you look across the board, our world does seem to be in this crux moment of uh, maybe some instability and uncertainty. Um, and they, and they like the one thing has gone. So the world they knew, the place where they found their security, it's like that has gone. And the, the next thing has not arrived yet. It's Mark Sayers. He talks, talks about this idea of like, we're in, a, we're in the gap between idols. You know, so the one yeah, idol has yeah. failed and then the new yeah. idol hasn't necessarily come to light yet. We're not really sure. Nobody's really sure what the future looks like. And so and so many of us are now sitting in this doubt. And I think what I what I would want to offer to people as you speak is that it's that's OK. <laughs> like you can yeah. come you can yeah. come through that. There's invitation baked into that experience. Would you resonate with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I. That's really powerful. This idea that we're in a gap between idols. Um, yeah. Thank you for that insight. And, and, and you know, I think there's another layer going on too, which is just kind of increasing exposure in of some of the rot in some of our so-called Christian systems. You know, I, I think here in North America, we're waking up more and more to Christianity's role in colonization and, um, you know, oppression. And, and it's heartbreaking. It's like, it's devastating. Um, so there's, there's this gap too. Maybe that's part of this gap between what we were expecting and what we were finding, you know, what we would hope for, for, for people who have, um, declared that they are followers of Christ and mm. what's happening. But, but, but yes, what I want to say is that in all of these gaps, even this gap between idols, I love that articulation. If you, if you, there's all these unhelpful ways to respond, which is making ourselves bigger, making God smaller, yeah. walking away completely, going on autopilot, all of that stuff. Yes. Then, then, then these gaps and this doubt is problematic. But like you said, if, if it's actually like an invitation, if this destabilization is like, hey, there's this invitation to completely change the ground of your being and to sort of fall into something deeper almost, you know, um, mm. uh, uh, then, then there is so much promise. And, and the first shift, I think, is just to see that, to see that destabilization, that sense of being in the gap as pregnant with possibility as an invitation i think even that can just sort sort of start to shift yeah our hearts our expectations our openness and and then um to know too that it's uh we're not the first ones in history this this feels like a really unique moment in history but there's kind of a pattern of this and that god has always done 
something redemptive with hinge moments like this. Um, that is huge. And then, um, you know, I, I, when you, when you look at Jesus teaching in the new Testament, every time he's asked about to teach on prayer, he almost always gives some kind of story about persistence, about perseverance. So like he tells the story about the bad neighbor who won't get up and help host a guest. And he says, but you know, if we keep banging on the door, the neighbor will get up and help. And then he tells the the story about the widow and the, um, and the unjust judge. And he says, but even if you pester this judge, eventually he'll give justice. And then he, and he's doing that classic rabbi thing where he's saying like, look, if even these lousy characters will respond, how much more will my father, who I know personally and can tell you is very good, will respond. Mm -hmm. And I used to, historically, I used to look at those stories and think, really, Jesus, like you're teaching us to pester you when when we want something is that the point here and the the longer i've lived with those stories the more i think that jesus was teaching persistence out of deep deep empathy for the human condition this Mm. this deep deep understanding that in these in on this side of the veil living on uh, you know, I love your understatement, a bit broken world, <laughs> like a lot broken world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, there would be these times in our lives where it would feel like when we try to pray, like our voice is bouncing off the ceiling, like God mm. doesn't see, like God doesn't hear. And I think Jesus in his great empathy was saying, no, keep keep talking to God, even, even if all you're telling him is, I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't hear you mm-hmm. because I think Jesus understood like nothing kills a relationship faster than the silent treatment. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's very tempting in times like this to go, to go silent. But I think he was saying, no, 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 no. Like just keep turning Godward, even when mm-hmm. it feels like nothing is happening, just keep turning Godward. Trust me. The Father is good. I'm good. We've got your back. Mm. Keep turning Godward, and and so that that is something I would like to invite people to lean into. Is like literally when you feel like you're just hitting a cement wall, then say that God, I feel like I'm hitting a cement wall, but don't go silent um, mm. because if you ever had someone give you a silent treatment or you've given someone the silent treatment, it's not good for a relationship. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, just just finding life-giving ways to respond to the invitations of these gaps. Um, there's huge, there's huge invitation here. I think. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, Trevor Hudson, who said, I must say hello, by the way. So he says hello. Oh, oh hello <laughs> um, back. <Love> him. <laughs> he were, we were talking, uh, I think today, actually, earlier today. And uh, he hmm. was talking about like the necessary separation of responsibility between us and God. You know, like hmm. there, there must be this, this, this division of labor. 
And um, mm. when you're when you're talking about it now, it's like sometimes uh, the division of labor that falls to us in these seasons is just to show up. <laughs> you yeah. know, because because sometimes because yeah. sometimes in these moments of disappointment and pain or whatever, it's like you don't have a big prayer or a large preach or even huge faith, or sometimes all you've got is just to keep coming, just to keep showing yeah. up. And then, but that's okay is what I'm hearing you say, because God, God's encouraging us just to keep doing that. And somehow that builds a momentum toward intimacy in its, in its persistence with that. Does that resonate with what you're saying? Yeah, hundred percent. I love, I love that take on it. And you know, another thing, <clears throat> Trevor, will often say is that when we when we are articulate to God, particularly our our sense of loss and disappointment, uh, you know, we are not telling God anything God doesn't know. Um, and so he says, we're not giving God information, we're giving God access and, wow. and or your word intimacy. Mm-hmm. And um, but again, I think why Jesus taught so much about uh persistence is because he knew sometimes that would take some tenacity you know there's Hardly, there's yeah. uh there's two two prayers in the bible that are like my go-to prayers when as you just said we don't have a prayer or we don't have a preach and and one of them is that that prayer from mark's gospel where where the dad has this epileptic son mm. and desperately wants jesus to heal him and Jesus says, well, anything's possible for those who believe. Do you believe? And, the, you know, for the, you get the sense that for the Father, it's like this defining moment. Oh, do I believe? Do I believe? Good question. <laughs> and, he, and he, you know, he gives him this incredibly beautiful and honest answer, which is, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, I believe like just enough to believe that you can do something with this tiny opening I'm able to give you. Um, that, that I think can be a really helpful prayer in times like that. And, mm. and the other one is, is um, Jacob's, Jacob's prayer when he's wrestling the angel. Such a crazy wild story from Genesis where he's wrestling someone all night and doesn't know who it is and sort of by daylight has figured out that in some real sense he's wrestling with Yahweh with God himself Mm. and and you know it's it's morning and this this opponent touches his hip and kind of uh you know temporarily sort of paralyzes him and so now he's hanging on less to fight and more for dear life because he's gonna fall because his hip's been hurt and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me or unless mm. you bless me. Mm. And um, there's this amazing dual movement in that story of tenacity and surrender, like somehow together, right? Wow. Like this, like right. this kind of coming to the end of yourself, but still being like, but I'm not going to, but I'm going to hang around. I'm going to hang on to you until you, you bless me. And there's something there. There's some invitation there. Um, like you said, when we, when we don't have some manifesto of faith in those times uh, to just say, I will not let you go until you bless me. And mm. the most amazing part of it, about that story, that Jacob story to me, is that he blesses him by renaming him Israel which means one who wrestles with God, God wrestler. And mm. so he's going to do all of salvation history 
through his, this nation, Israel is going to get the ball rolling through his his God rustlers. Oh, and, yeah. you know, it, it, it in that time in, in my 20s, my when I had that first real experience of doubt, like I knew I was supposed to be a God follower, a God lover, a God teller about her, a God obeyer. <laughs> yeah. but, but I had no idea that God actually anticipated, expected and encouraged that I would be a God wrestler. Like that there's this empathy, mm. empathy in God for what it's like to be a finite creature invited into invitation with a infinite God. Um, And that the, the, yeah. So there's like just that, that redeems those times for me anyways, it redeems those times of of struggle and wrestling and gives me the courage to pray. I'm not going to let you go. Mm. Man, I just want to sit with that thought for a bit. That's so good. (laughs) You, Carolyn, this is not just um, theory. This came quite close to home uh, with your mom recently um, dying. Would you? Are you okay yeah. to tell us a little bit about how this journey was made real for you? Yeah, I think I think this was a journey with similar with similar texture to it, maybe a little bit different character to it. In uh, in 2018, probably actually shortly after I met you, shortly after I was in South Africa, mm. uh, my mom my mom passed away, and you know there was nothing um, particularly like tragic about it in the sense that uh, we would have liked much more time with her. But she was in her 70s; she'd had a lot of health challenges. She had she did death several times. You know, she was such a such a mama bear, kept fighting her way back, and yeah. so when when she died, it wasn't like it was a shock or, or a surprise, but it was uh, much more disorienting. And maybe this is where it maps onto our conversation, because I, I appreciate you identifying this cultural moment as this moment of um, disorientation or destabilization. Mm. When I lost my mom, like the grief was much more enveloping than I anticipated. I, I knew it'd be hard. We were incredibly close. And I know not everyone gets that with a parent, but I was really, mm-hmm. really fortunate in that. She really was my best friend. And um and it was incredibly destabilizing. And my my friend Chris Hall at Renovari, he said to me, look, like losing a parent, it's like losing a mountain range. It's like this thing you have or that has been an orientation point your whole entire life is suddenly gone and it's incredibly disorienting and um i had a really hard time with it at first i i didn't create space for the level of grief that i needed to feel i i kept thinking you know come on carolyn you've got friends that have lost like people horribly out of season you know they've lost their kids or their their spouse young or, or whatever and and you know you're you're you shouldn't be grieving at these depths. Um, and so I kept trying to avoid it, pretend it wasn't happening, force my way through it. I saw our friend Trevor at one of the Renovari mm. Institutes, and he he just looked at me and said, Carolyn, the only way through this is through this. I finally about six months in, I realized I was in I was in trouble. Like there was something subterranean going on. And 
And this again is maybe, you know, when I was talking earlier about unhelpful ways we respond to things, this was me maybe trying to pretend I was bigger than I was or that the, gr- the grief was smaller than it was. Mm. I finally went to a, a grief counselor and she actually uh, assigned to me taking 30 minutes a day just to feel my feelings and grieve, which just sounded awful to me, but started to create uh, some space. Um, and and I, I still actually don't have clarity about all the invitations in that i don't i don't wish grief on anyone but of Mm. course it's it's inevitable in our journey um but i will say that there isn't that grief is another kind of invitation into the death and um it is a place where again sort of in good time (laughs) and that timing will be different for everyone um we do find identification with the man of sorrows Mm. we do we do you know and i i'm so mm, i'm so reluctant to put any kind of neat bow on this and say hey it's great it's this you know it's it's this um i i want to be really careful because grief just sometimes just really sucks you know and there and there are probably people listening to us right now that are just enough and just an awful place. And, um, oh gosh, what can, what can we say about that? I, we, we can say it is part of the invitation to become fully human. Mm. It is hard and holy work. You are not alone in it ever. I, I think this is, I think this is the one thing when people do go even through maybe genuinely tragic things and well-meaning well-meaning christians you know say oh everything happens for a reason or god's going to meet you in this or whatever and all of it is just frustrating when when senseless things happen and people say things like that but the one thing that you can say is like you are not alone yes there is this this jesus who did come and wear our skin and endured all of human sorrow and pain. And so even when it feels like you are entirely alone, you are not alone. Mm. There are invitations in the destabilization and, and it will make you um, more fully human and, and can make you more fully tender and more fully identified with the men of sorrows. Mm. Uh, But I want to be really careful to not, to not rush that for anyone, um, but 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 to say, uh, I do believe with all my heart you are you are held, even yeah. when it doesn't even when it doesn't feel like you are. I, uh, my, um, my dad died in November, on the 6th of November. Oh. So I really relate to um, what you're talking about. And um, so actually this journey mm-hmm. through, through this uh, into the deepest part ministry, part medicine for me, I'm just, <laughs> oh. uh, I'm really yeah. sitting down. And genuinely, I'm really taking notes from you and the other people who will be on this 
uh, in this conversation yeah. because I'm just learning so much. And I think the two things that really helped me so far, I, number one, I just can so relate to what you are saying with it's sure that picture of it's a removal of a mountain range. Absolutely mm-hmm. relate to that. And I think I'd always thought to myself that grief was sadness. Like mm-hmm. I'd always, I'd always equated grief with sadness. I just thought like people who are grieving are really, really sad. But I, mm. I think what I'm learning in my own journey through it is that there's a multidimensionality to it all. It's sadness is one of the things I feel, but it's there's also so much more to it than that. Um, but mm-hmm. so many other things, you know. And it is. It's kind of um, you know here in Durban we've got really strong ocean currents, and the riptides can come and pull you from the mm. beach, you know. And one of the first things they'll say about the riptide is that you you don't fight it like let the tide take mm. you because if you let it take you mm. it'll it'll bring you back up onto the beach and s- somewhere else you know but if you mm. fight it it's going it's going to overpower you in the water you know and um i think that's been true of my journey with grief as well kind of uh giving yourself to it and and letting one of my friends said that uh, when when sorrow has done its work it will leave of its own accord mm. you know mm. uh, and like allowing that to happen to you I, that's that's such a powerful picture the 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 riptide and I think that's what the grief counselor was trying to do for me I think she was identifying that it was fighting the tide that was mm. completely breaking me down whereas right. if I would just you know and there's a there is a feeling you know and again everybody's timing and process of grief is different but there's there's this feeling of like, if I let myself go with this, I might not come back. Right. And, right. and, but you will come back. That's the, mm. uh, and so that picture of the, of the riptide is, is so helpful. Mm. Um, and this idea that when sorrow is, is done with you, it will leave on its own accord to, to an extent. I mean, there will, there, you know, I'm three years in now and there are, there are still waves and right. I think there always will be until we're together. Uh, but the the sort of that intensity and that feeling of of inner crumbling or being being swept out um, that 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 does mm. it, that just needs time, you know. Right. But but I do think Trevor's right too. The only way through it is is through it's it. Through, and, yeah, and wearing yourself out fighting it is is not helpful. Yeah, you know? and I remember at my dad's um, memorial service. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a uh, a hopeless preacher. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm always I'm always going to try and some, turn something into a sermon, you know. And uh, a really helpful a friend of mine who came just to show strength, to support. Uh, you know, he he hugged me, and we were so, and he just looked at me, and he's like, "How are you doing?" And I started like. I don't know, bringing out all my tweets, you know, like all the, all the, you know, and he looked at me and he just said, Matt, it's okay that this just sucks. Like, that's okay. Yeah. It's okay that this yeah. is just, it's okay. And, and then the yeah. final thought that was really helpful for me in this was um, my friend Dave, he said to me, um, so the one was to give my, myself license that this was hard and that that's okay. Yeah. And the other one yeah. was, he said, uh, you know, there's a certain kind of intimacy reserved for those who keep company with Jesus in the garden. Yeah. And, uh, you know, drawing on that, the picture of Jesus pulling the three and saying, well, you just come and, and pray with me. We come keep watch with me. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you talk about this man of sorrows and this fellowship and grief. And 
And, yeah. and he said, so what if in this next season, your job isn't to fix it or get out of it, but just keep watch with yeah. Jesus in the garden? Like, what if, what if that is part of the invitation, you know? Yeah, that's so powerful. Uh, uh, I, have you talked yet with Mimi Dixon? Do you know Mimi from no, the Renovari community? No. She's an amazing and, and has this kind of theology of suffering and grief, this understanding of it. And it helped me so much, actually, in the in the long months when my mom was in the hospital and I would go visit her every day. And, you know, there's so much misery and sadness there. And Mimi always says, you know, when everybody else is running away from the burning building, Jesus is running towards it. He's the ultimate first responder. Mm-hmm. And um, that when she is in a place of pain uh, or sorrow, like literally in a physical place, like a hospital ward, she knows that Jesus is already there, was there before she got there, is there present to all the pain and suffering in that place. Mm. And that whatever else that her finding herself in that place is, and it can be a, a, a place of great personal loss, uh, you know, it, it, it can be all these layers of all these things that it is. But also one of the things it is, is an invitation to keep company with Jesus in his presence there. Mm, and mm. and so in those long months where I would walk down this long hospital corridor, up this elevator, down another long corridor, past all these rooms where people were suffering, I would, I would say to Jesus, I'm gonna sit with you here a while. I know you're already here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just keep you company here. Mm. Uh, and you know, Mimi says we have we have eternity uh to enjoy um deep deep joy and fellowship with the father son and the spirit but our short life here on earth is our only chance to write that kind of love letter to jesus where we keep him in in, we keep him company in his presence to the suffering world and that's not to minimize all the other things that are going on when we're keeping watch in that hospital room and all Mm -hmm. the things that are going to require us to deepen and widen and suffer and grow and learn that we love the ones that have left. Um, there's a way to love them. You know, people say grief is love with nowhere to go, but I think grief is the place where love goes. <laughs> you wow. know, like it's, wow. it's wow. how how we grieve. Uh, it's how we love when, when someone is gone. So all those layers are going on, but yes, also this invitation which really is quite beautiful to keep keep Jesus company in his mm. presence to the pain in the world. Karen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Fantastic. I wish we could talk forever. This <laughs> is so good. Really enjoying our conversation. Uh, I know you have to go, but just before you go, I wanted to just point people to resources uh, with the stuff that you're involved in, your music, your books, Renovare things, anything that particularly, you know, like the audience listening to our conversation today, things that they might find helpful and, and, and places where they could find your work. Yeah, thank you for asking. I, I would definitely would want to invite anyone listening to explore renovare.org, which is R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. 
There's a weekly digest there. You, If you don't know us, you can start to get to know us. Um, my colleague, Nathan Foster, does a couple of great pa- uh, podcasts. So after you've listened to all of Matt's podcasts, you mm-hmm. can listen to uh, the Renovari podcast. I listen and, to the uh, Renovari can, podcast. It's excellent. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. We, we're doing monthly live webinars that are totally free and kind of a neat community has sprung up around those. Um, I, uh, it is my great joy to oversee the Renovari Institute, which is a two-year virtual and in-person program uh, people can check out. we got a book club, just tons and tons of things going on. So I'd really invite people uh, to explore the resources there. And then also to connect with me personally, you can check out carolynerrons.com. I'm sure you can find the spelling on this podcast name. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put all this and, info in uh, the show notes for the guests. Yeah, great. And I have a little weekly newsletter there and you can check out my music and learn a little bit more of that side uh, of about that side of what I do there. And uh, yeah, both places you are more than welcome. Wonderful. Carolyn, thank you for your time. I hope this isn't the last time we have you on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. I feel the same blessings. <laughs> and yeah. Hey, I'm really, really sorry about the loss of your dad. Yeah. Thank well. you. I really appreciate that. It's um, yeah. I think you understand. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, that's the conversation, friends. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, here is a little clip of the next episode in our series, Into the Deep. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. I I had to, in that space, try and figure out how to worship a God who deeply offended me. And that, that caused a lot of tension and malfunction in me, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, for some time until eventually I just submitted and said, you know what, God, um, you know, there's this saying where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in the New Testament. Unless you do that, you can't be my disciples. And many walk away and Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And they just say this amazing thing. Um, Lord, where would we go? Do you have the words of eternal life? And I think what I had to do in my life was move through the offense to a point where I could say, yes, all of this. And for some reason, you refuse to say anything about it. But God, where else would I go? You, you're my father. You have the words of eternal life.